eventually finish that song for all of us. Is my mic on? Yeah, there we go. Well, good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Central City. It's so good to be in worship with you today. And before we get into our, to this to the teaching for today, um, I don't know if anyone else is experiencing this, but it is definitely winter. And with winter, sometimes, I've talked to some of you, comes some, you know, like seasonal sadness. We'll just say that word. It's a little softer. <laughs> and, you know, I just want, with the song that we just sang and with some hard things and heavy things and sad things on our, on our hearts, I just want to give us some space, some room for silence, just to hear from God this morning, just to, to quiet ourselves, to slow down from this week before we get into the teaching. So we're just going to spend a couple minutes in silence here. It might get awkward. Just, you know, embrace it. So let's, let's just pray for a couple minutes. I come before you with all of the, the emotion of the season, the joy and the celebration, the coziness, God, but also with the stress and um, sometimes the sadness that can come with this season, um, with winter, but also um, with Christmas that we might be experiencing. So God, we just come before you and we ask that you would just quiet our hearts, that we can give everything to you, that we can hear from you and that we can be present here in this moment with each other and with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are continuing in our All I Want for Christmas series. Um, and so we did a, a survey a, a couple months ago just to hear from you, like what you love about Christmas, what you kind of find annoying about Christmas. And we heard a lot of the same things. A lot of them were like fill in the blanks. So we didn't give you the words, but you, you wrote certain things and we just saw some trends. So 
things that people love about Christmas and find the most annoying are these three things, like both. People love and find annoying that Christmas sometimes is rushed and that it's, people want it to be more meaningful. So that's what they love about Christmas, that it can be more meaningful, that it can be about Jesus and about Jesus' birth. But sometimes we find what's annoying about it is that it's rushed, it's not about Jesus, and it's not about those things that make us, you know, like the season. The second thing that people love about Christmas and are annoyed with is gift giving. Anybody? Gift giving. We love to give gifts, to be generous, to find things that people are going to enjoy and it's going to be meaningful for them. But then we also are annoyed with the fact of commercialization and having to spend so much money that we don't have on gifts that people aren't going to use after tomorrow. It's just annoying in this season. The third thing that people found um, that we love and are annoyed with at Christmas is family, right? We love spending time with our family. That's what this season is all about, coming together, enjoying time, slowing down. But then family is often a little difficult and annoying. So it's not just annoying that we just spend time with our family, but sometimes our families can be annoying. So you can listen to the... um, the last couple of weeks, we talked about how to, how to create a more meaningful Christmas and about gift giving. So if you weren't here and you want to listen to those, they're on our podcast. You can find those on our website. But today we're going to talk about all we want and don't want for Christmas is family. So I, I need a little bit of feedback here this morning. What do we love about family at the holidays? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to? Memories. Memories. Time spent together. Yeah. Catching up. Laughing, laughter. Yeah. Contentment, reconnecting. Traditions. Food. Yes. Yes. Babies. All right. All right. Little ones. Yeah. Games. Yeah. That is, I asked, I random thought just because I'm not a game player, but Joe's family all they do. That is all they do for hours. And that is, yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> After six years in the family, though, almost seven years in the family. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like everyone else is playing the game. So what am I going to do? Well, I know what I do. I take a nap, but that's okay. <laughs> Moving on. So we love all this stuff, the traditions, the babies, the laughter, playing games, all of this. What do we not like about family? Drama. Drama. I didn't even give my politics. Yeah, it was. Expectations. Traveling. Questions. Traveling. Politics, politics again. <laughs> Certain news stations that just play in the background, you know. Well, any news station that plays in the background. <laughs> so we, family at, at holidays is great, but also can just be anxiety producing, right? Or at, at least just, you know, an annoyance that is on our radar. And we especially notice this at holidays, right? Like relationships in general are difficult. It is, it's hard to maintain relationships, especially over distance or over time, you know, like, my cousins and I, we grew up together, but we haven't seen each other in 10 years, it feels like. And so now we're completely different people. So it's hard to, to keep those relationships 
And then at Christmas, all of that comes together, right? Like all the expectations, all the family members, we don't even know that they're family. And it all just comes right here, family holidays. And we have questions like, which family gets Christmas Eve and which family gets Christmas Day? And are we spending equal amounts with all sides of the family? And this side of the family gives gifts, but this side doesn't. And this side of the family is really small. And this side of the family is really huge. And I'm hoping that the side that's really small is the one that gives the gifts because I don't have enough for the side of the family that's huge. But it's always around Christmas time that we realize how much we don't know or understand or spend time with our family. Sometimes it feels like Christmas is a contest to see who has the craziest, craziest family. Has anyone had those conversations with your friends? You're like, well, my family this Christmas is doing this. And they're like, well, let me one-up you on that. My family is doing this. And no matter how crazy or difficult or good family can be the rest of the year, right, during birthdays or when you go out to visit, the, sometimes Christmas can still be hard, And I was reading through some of the Christmas stories, both in Matthew and in Luke. And what I realized is that families have always been crazy. Like, this is not a new thing. This is not something that our American culture has produced. Families have always had difficult situations, drama, traditions that we love, but also some difficult times. And especially if you look at the birth of this story, the family surrounding the birth of this little baby is just as crazy or more crazy than a lot of our families. So why should our Christmas be any different, right? Well, before we get to, even before we get to Christmas morning in um, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew gives us this long genealogy. So if you look at Matthew chapter 1, you don't need to go there now, but I encourage you to eventually. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, it's the very first chapter of the New Testament of our Bible, and Matthew decides to tell all of Jesus's family history. The first several verses are this genealogy, and there are lots of names in this list, and most of them you can find a story about in the Old Testament. So if you, you know, are bored one day, you want to go trace back all of Jesus's family, you find like people like Abraham, like Obed, Abijah, that's a fun name, Josiah, Zerubbabel, all these crazy names you can barely pronounce, are in Jesus's family line. And these are all Jesus' great, great, great grandparents, and all of them have crazy stories. So if you eventually go trace them all back, you can see how crazy they are, how undignified they are, how sometimes you're like, are these really God's people? Are these really godly people? But this list of names is testimony that God works through the nitty-gritty craziness of all of us ordinary humans And God eventually, through all of these people in Jesus' family line, brings about divine purposes that change the trajectory of God's story throughout history. Each person in Jesus' family throughout the generations was used by God to bring salvation, both in their time in history, to save God's people where they were, and through Jesus for all of history. There are these four women in the genealogy of Jesus, um, and all four of them have rather difficult, scandalous stories— all four of them. And even if you include Mary in that, I mean, scandalous stories that we don't really think of when we think of Jesus, right? We don't think of scandalous, difficult stories, but maybe we should. Because when we think that Jesus's family is crazy, it gives us a little bit more grace for our families, right? 
when we get to the story of Jesus's mom and dad, eventually um, after the genealogy, even this little family is strange to think of, that God would come to this family, the God of the universe would be born in this little family. A young woman and a man who aren't even married yet, she finds out she's pregnant, he plans to divorce her, but because at, at that time when you were engaged, you were thought of as married, so you'd have to go through the divorce process. So not married, planning a divorce, but then an angel tells him to stay with her, be a father to this child. The God of this universe is born into this poor, crazy family. And so when all of us go home, we can find some comfort in that, right? Well, family was a big deal in ancient, in ancient Israel. All through the Old Testament, you can find genealogies. Almost every book has multiple genealogies of, of all the people. It's very important to know who your family was because who your family was had a great impact on who you would be. If your parents were were priests, then you, were, you would be a priest. If they were kings, you would be a king. If, even prophets, if, they, if your parents were prophets, then you would be a prophet. If you had cupbearers in your family, you might be a cupbearer, because that's a thing. People, they would like bring the cup to the king, it's a cupbearer. If you had farmers in your family, yep, that's right. Your identity came from your tribe, your clan, and your family. And the family was also important because when God came into a relationship with this group of people, it was through family that God would bless them and through family that they, would, that they would bless the rest of the world. God told Abraham that he would have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. This blessing of God on these people started with the promise of family. And family continued to be a big deal in the time of Jesus. Everything surrounded the household. Society was even structured like insistently. You would have the father, that you would have like a similar father figure in society as you would in the household. Everything was structured around the household. And by the time Jesus comes in, things have gotten a little out of hand, right? Like, like always, you know, Jesus comes in and is like, oh my goodness, it's been thousands of years and we still don't know what God wants for us. It seems that the family God had created had forgotten that they were especially created to bless the whole world. Instead, they seemed to put their nuclear family households above everything else. They were only concerned about themselves, and everything else was falling apart. And Jesus calls them out on this a, a couple times. In Matthew chapter 10, he reminds the people that whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. These are harsh words coming from the one who created family. Sometimes we need a little jolt to get our priorities straight, right? I think Jesus does that a lot of times. He needs to prod us so that we can, we can get our brain back on track. And Luke, he says it even more radically. He says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whew. That'll jolt you, right? What a Christmas message. Merry Christmas. Hate your family. Now you're all going to go to your family Christmases and you're going to be like, my pastor told me that I have to hate all of you guys, so let's just get this over. But actually, I'd just come back and say, well, that's actually what Jesus said. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. But both, we have to understand where Jesus is coming from and where the authors of these books are coming from. Both Matthew and Luke are writing in a time when Christians literally had to choose either between their family and their faith. 
during this new movement, a lot of like only some people were choosing to follow Jesus. And so if they were, if they were choosing to follow Jesus, their families thought they were denying them that they were pushing them aside. And sometimes families would abandon them. So people are literally having to choose between their biological families and their faith. And the message of the gospel is difficult, and especially during the beginning of this church when not everyone's buying into it. And we have to look at our families who have abandoned us and choose Jesus still. But we experience this today too, right? Like we have family members who are not following Jesus. I know there are a lot of us in this room who we have family who think that we're insane for following Jesus, or at very least, even if they wouldn't say it in so many words, they definitely remind us when they feel like we're prioritizing Jesus over family. I know, I'm not going to say anything. Um, And seeing how Christmas was originally celebrated as Jesus's birth, this can come up, or at least it has in certain people's households. And it could get interesting over the holidays when our families are are questioning our priorities. And the early church experienced this especially, having to, to, to decide and choose between family and their faith. So in order to deal with that, the early church had an understanding of the kingdom of God as family. And this is really good news. When they chose Jesus over their biological family, they gained another family. It was such good news. They weren't just being abandoned by their family to follow Jesus, but they were being adopted into a new family. Believers in Jesus became children of God. And God's children became brothers and sisters to Christ and also to each other. This is how early Christians would refer to one another. You know, I was reading, I was reading a commentary and was talking about how Christians would call each other brother and sister. And we've heard that. You've, you've heard that before, right? Like, hey, brother... John, hey, sister Martha, I don't know. Um, And I always, like, find it really awkward when someone comes up and is like, hey, sister, and I'm like, yeah. Um, But it's such a beautiful picture when we think of the family of faith becoming our family, being adopted into God's family. We are now brothers and sisters, and it's such a beautiful thing. Anthropologists call this fictive kinship when non-related persons treat each other or call each other um, family. But in the church, the writers of the New Testament did not think of it as fictive at all. They believed that this real bond happened when we became followers of Christ and that this bond that was created between followers of Christ that became family, that it was as strong as blood or marriage. In some cases, a family of faith becomes a surrogate family when the biological family bond is broken. That now the family of faith can take on that role. There's a saying that there's the family you're given, and then there's the family that you choose. And that's the family of faith. And it's important to know that when when you become a part of the family of God, that we all care for one another like a biological family, that everyone is taken care of, that there are equal parts, and everyone is cared for equally. Now, there's a couple of different things that happen um, in this new family of faith, especially in, the, in ancient Israel. So first, hierarchy of family shifted. So when people started becoming Christians and joining this family of faith, hierarchy of family shifted. Jesus taught that leadership meant servanthood, which meant the last 
The first becomes last and the last becomes first. The proud are humbled. Children are heirs of heaven. So Paul in the New Testament teaches about interdependence between family members rather than hierarchy. In, in the early church, it would, there would uh, be mothers and brothers and sisters, but there were no fathers, only God as father. There was not one above everyone, but we are all equal, caring for one another with God as our father. Another thing that happens is that Jesus becomes the head of the household. So, yeah, I just said that. I got ahead of myself because I got excited about that point. Jesus becomes the head of the household, that we're all equal. We all care for one another, mothers, brothers, and sisters, and God is our father. And another thing that happens is that divisions that once separated people in the ancient world are gone. Galatians 3.28 says there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. The family of God transcends racial and ethnic divisions, sociological divisions, gender divisions. The New Testament writers also now affirm singleness as a valid choice in the family of God. So marriage was this unquestioned norm. If you weren't married, you didn't have a family to support you. You didn't have land. You didn't have property. You didn't get the inheritance, all of that. But now, since we're all part of this family of God, singleness is valid because you have others who are caring for you. So now, for the sake of the kingdom, people can choose to be single and be taken care of. So the ideal that that the biological family, the ideal is that the biological family and the faith family would overlap. That our families, that our children would choose to follow Jesus. We would all be in this together. We would have an allegiance to Christ and, and we would be able to then bless others as a family. That everyone would know Christ as Savior, God as Father. But when this doesn't happen, when we, when we have families that question our priorities or aren't in line with us, the church, the family of God, has already adopted all of us. Baptism is, is literally about being adopted into the family of God. We, uh, Jesus says to value him more than life itself, and at baptism, we die to our former life and are raised again with Christ to our new life with Christ and this new family. That as baptized members... We now have a new family, and we celebrate when whole families are baptized. That was such an exciting thing in the, new, in the, in the um, early church. There are, there are passages in, in the writings of Paul where whole families, it would be at their house, a whole family would be baptized, and we celebrate when whole families are baptized. And when someone loses a family because of their faith or other circumstances in life, God's family becomes a more-than-real family to them. One of the biggest shifts from the Old Testament to the New Testament in regards to family is that now Gentiles can become a part of the family of God too. They are no longer the outsider. In the Old Testament, they were a part of the household, but they didn't get the full privileges of the family. Now in the New Testament, Gentiles, anyone who is seeking God, can become a full member of this family. And this happens when we practice radical hospitality, when we welcome in the stranger, the foreigner, the traveler, the guest. Our family is, God created this family to be used by God to bless others. The church can be a, become a real family to those who don't have the ideal family structure. We all have this picture that we're told this is what family looks like. But in the church, we realize that that's not always what happens. And so we become 
the family to this to this these people who don't have that ideal family structure. The church can become a healing family to those who don't have a healthy family or have a broken family. The church can become a welcoming, safe place for those who need family. So now I'm talking about a lot about family because I I really feel strongly that as a church we become a family that we care for one another, that we love one another, that we're there for one another more than outside of Sunday morning. And that has a lot of implications, and I hope that eventually, as this new church forms, that we grow into those implications of being a place where everyone can find value and worth and be cared for in this community. Well, what does this mean at Christmas time? Some of us have really great families. Some of us love our families. Some of our families are our followers as well, as well or that's, that doesn't come up. Some of us have broken families, have difficult families, have small families. So it means that at Christmas time, all of this, it means that if you have a family who's following Jesus, I encourage you to think of a way that you can be a blessing to a person or a family that is struggling. That you can use your family, what you have, even if it's just encouragement to that person or that family, that you can use what you have to bless others. And it means that if you don't have a family who is following Jesus or you don't have a family that, is, that you're welcomed into, know that you have a family right here. That if you need a safe place, you need people to eat Christmas dinner with, we're right here. You can have dinner with us. Well, I'm inviting you to my dinner. So I'm, I'm serious. If you, if you ever need a place to eat, if you ever need a place to crash at a home, to just relax in, feel safe, uh, you have an emergency, you can call me. Or, and I'm sure as you get to know people in here, it's the same here. And if you don't have anywhere to go on Christmas Eve, Joe talked about our fireplace Christmas. And one of the reasons why we're doing this fireplace Christmas is because people that are, that are here on Christmas Eve might not have a family to go to or you're not traveling to visit your family on Christmas Eve. And so on Christmas Eve, we're going to be a surrogate family. We're going to read scripture and sing like we're in a living room and uh, celebrate the birth of this baby who changed everything together as a family. Also, we have Christmas dinner at 1 p.m. on Christmas Day, so if you need a place to go, let me know. But maybe you know someone who is struggling with family. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe they live in a different state and can't visit. Um, we have a gift for, for those people. So if you want to bless another family or another person this Christmas, um, we're going to put gifts on the back table on your way out, and it has a candle in it. Um, and it has an invitation to our Christmas services. And so I'd encourage you, if you know someone who doesn't have a family, who feels lost, who maybe needs somewhere to go for Christmas, I encourage you to grab one of those. And it's risky, and it's hard, and it might be awkward. Um, but again, embrace the awkwardness. I'm all about that. Um, and, and invite them to be a part of some, a place that, where they can call home. Most of us love our family and um, are in relationship with them, even if we don't share the same priorities, right? Like, fortunately, in our culture, we aren't necessarily cut off from our families uh, because of our faith, although a lot of people all around the world are. Um, 
So how do we enjoy and even bless our family in spite of the differences that we may have in politics or religion or anything like that, besides just talking about the weather? Um, to start, I just have a couple, couple suggestions, and these are things that I'm, I'm working through and practicing as well. I think to start, one of the ways that we can deal with uh, differences in our family is to take the pressure off of ourselves to get along or to have the perfect family. Like I said, families have been crazy forever, (laughs) forever. When we can recognize that all of us are broken and all of us are human and we all need grace, then conversations get easier, right? We can just take the pressure off and allow ourselves to give grace to ourselves and to those around us. We also recognize that only God can change people's hearts. And this is the hardest one for me. I want to change everybody. Um, But only God can change anyone's heart. And only God can work in people's lives in a way that can move them to a place to be more open. So we can invite and encourage, but it's not our responsibility. we got to take that off of ourselves. So I can only be aware of where my heart is and make sure that I'm aligned with Christ. And everything else can flow through that. The pressure is also released when I know that I have other family. I'm not alone. Even when I feel neglected or abandoned and, and not part of my biological family, I'm not alone. I have other family. So this Christmas, when all we want is family, I want each of you to know that you have family in the family of God. So no matter where you go, what you do, where you are, that you have family in God. So whether you love your family and it's going to be the best Christmas ever and you're going to enjoy your time together, you have family here too. And whether you're struggling with family and you're not sure how it's going to go and you're anxious about it, you have family here. So this Christmas, I just pray that you would know that God is your father. And then in all of that, everything else can flow from that. Let's pray. And well, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. God, you, as our Father, love us. As your children, we don't always know how to act or respond to your love and your grace. And sometimes, even even when knowing that we have family and even knowing that you are our Father, it's still difficult to be in relationships with people around us. So God, this Christmas, in the midst of everything, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you're calling us to be more graceful, more peaceful, where you're calling us to encourage those around us, and where you're wanting us to reach out and ask for more family. God, give us the boldness to be to be your family here on earth, to care for one another, to love one another, to be there in the difficult times and the easy times, and that this can be real, and that in doing so, we might change the world around us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.